The COVID-19 pandemic has changed life for all of us. But even before this, we were already fighting an epidemic, the battle against chronic disease. And those with chronic diseases are at highest risk of contracting severe coronavirus infections. So how do we protect ourselves during these uncertain times? But more importantly, how do we view health? Welcome to the Glass Half Healthy Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Jonar, a physician board certified in internal medicine and certified in lifestyle medicine. In this podcast, I want to address the current crisis of chronic disease and to challenge the conventional attitude towards health. We will be exploring these issues with thought-provoking guests to help redefine what health should mean for all of us. I hope to inspire you to take action towards a happier, thriving life because good health comes to those who expect it. What is up, everyone? I am your host, Dr. Jonar, and this is my podcast, The Glass Half Healthy. I'm recording this on April 22nd, so a happy Earth Day to you all out there and a warm welcome to my podcast, ranked in the best 21 medical podcasts to subscribe to in 2021 by Board Vitals. Still so honored for this, which would not be possible without all of you listening out there. So my deepest gratitude and appreciation for each and every one of you. In return, I hope to continue bringing you incredible guest discussions to help inspire you along your health journey. That said, to celebrate Earth Day, our topic is in line with going green and reducing our carbon footprint by choosing plants over animal products. And what we're specifically talking about today is dairy. So I am excited to present our next guest, Dr. Simran Maholtra. But before we get to that, a word from our sponsor. This episode of The Glass Half Healthy is brought to you by oat milk. Oat milk is whole grain and filled with fiber, plant-based protein, B vitamins, and minerals, including calcium, iron, and magnesium. Among the alternative milks, it's the better option if you have a nut allergy. And most importantly, the taste is creamy, rich, and smooth, and 100% plant-based. If you haven't tried it, you really ought to. So get it in your local grocery store, wherever non-dairy milks are sold. Okay, back to the pod. This is our 27th episode, and the title of it is, Does Dairy Do a Body Good? with my friend, Dr. Simran Maholtra. Dr. Maholtra is a triple board certified physician specializing in palliative care and lifestyle medicine. In this episode, Dr. Maholtra talks to us first about her inspiring personal story as a BRCA1 provider and her family history of cancer, which gave way to her current passion, which is educating people on the powerful impact that positive lifestyle changes can have on quality of life and longevity. From there, we discuss dairy. What is dairy made of and why we should even care about what's in it? We then go into the reported benefits of and the harmful components in dairy and the potential downstream effects on our own health. We also talk about the plant-based milk alternatives out on the market. In addition, Dr. Malholtra is the mother of two toddlers, so she discusses her take on toddlers drinking dairy milk. So let's just jump right into it and enter the pod with Dr. Simran Malholtra. 
All right, I wanted to first welcome you here on the show. You know, we share some things in common. We are both lifestyle medicine certified and we both attended the same virtual conference this year without even knowing we did till after the fact. So welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. So, you know, first things first, I just wanted to ask you, you know, I know you're a physician, but why are you so passionate about educating people on the impact that lifestyle has on their quality of life and longevity? So for me, this question kind of goes really deeper into my story. So I guess I'll mm -hmm. just start off by sharing my story. Yeah. So for when, sure. I, when I was, um, when I was 13, my mom was 33 at the time she got diagnosed with breast cancer. And after that, I just saw her journey unfold into survivorship and really solidified my path into becoming a doctor one day. And then fast forward to my residency, when I was in my second year, my aunt, her older sister was diagnosed with an aggressive form of ovarian cancer. Mm. Um, and unfortunately, after you know um, a year of a really tough year, she ultimately passed away. Oh, um, sorry to hear that. Yeah. I mean, after that, I, I really pushed my mom to think about genetic testing again, because as I started now, I was a medical resident. So as I started digging into our family history, there was just there was so many women who had had breast and and ovarian cancer. So I told her to get genetic testing again. Initially, it was negative when she was 33. So she, we decided to get tested again. And this time she was found to be BRCA1 um, positive. And so here I was kind of finishing up residency. I always knew inside my heart, like even when I was in my primary care clinic and I had people coming in with high blood pressure and cholesterol, I was always talking about lifestyle change. And I always knew in my heart that that was something that I didn't feel comfortable educating them on because looking back, it's something that we never really got training on. Right. Yeah. And so most all of us don't. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so it was always something that like was really of interest to me, especially after watching my mom's journey. Like I remember watching her change what she was eating after her cancer diagnosis. And she really got into like mind body therapies. And so I really thought after residency, I wanted to do a fellowship in integrative medicine. Mm -hmm. um, and, but then the other piece of me at, at, during my training that really, I felt like I didn't have enough training in was communication and breaking bad news and talking about end of life care. And that's mm -hmm. kind of where my mm -hmm. passion for palliative care came in. And that's when I decided to pursue a fellowship in, in palliative care. And that same year, I decided I was 26. And I decided to get tested for the genetic mutation um, that my mom carried. And so I also found out that I was uh, a BRCA1 carrier at the time. And so for anyone listening that doesn't know what BRCA1 is, it's basically an uh, inherited genetic mutation that really su substantially increases your lifetime risk of breast and ovarian cancer. Um, like you're talking numbers of breast cancer of upwards of like 85 to 87% lifetime risk of breast cancer. So for me as a 26-year-old, having just lost my aunt and watching what my mom went through and then like, you know, just my experience in residency overall, for me, it was like, okay, what can I do? And I met with a genetic counselor and a whole group of doctors and they were just like, you need to have preventative surgery. And, and mm -hmm. I understood all of that. I, I read the science, it made sense, but I was like, but like, what can I do in my everyday life that I can actually control to decrease my risk of cancer? And like radio silence, like nobody had anything to share with me. They were mm -hmm. like, I have a genetic mutation. You can't change anything. Like, right. And that's when I came across Dr. Michael Greger's book, How oh. Not to Die. Yes. 
oh my God, what a life changer. Like it has completely really turned my entire life and really helped me find my purpose. Like it is so wild. And so, you know, I think diving deeper into it, like as a palliative care physician, as a family member, as someone who has this genetic mutation, like I've witnessed over the last five years um, in my practice, what chronic illness, like heart disease and dementia and cancer, like what these things can take away from a patient and not just the patient, but their entire family. Like I've seen debilitating symptoms. I've seen social isolation. I've seen loss of autonomy um, and then eventually death. Right. And I've seen, I've seen the whole spectrum. Um, And I think one of the things that when people think about serious illness, they're thinking stage four cancer, they're thinking end stage heart failure, they're thinking end stage kidney failure. But as a palliative care clinician on the end of the spectrum, looking at it backwards, like what we really need to do is shift our mindset around what a life-threatening illness really is. Because if you think about it, things like high blood pressure, high cholesterol, diabetes, these are all the silent killers that eventually over a number of years are what lead to these serious illnesses that I'm seeing as a palliative care clinician, right? And so I think much of conventional medicine focuses so much on managing the symptoms of disease rather than treating the root cause of disease, which is where the lifestyle factors comes in. Right. Um, And so for me, that was just like mind blowing. And I just got so interested in lifestyle medicine and started following ACLM and, you know, learning about all of these pioneers in lifestyle medicine. And ultimately I ended up taking the boards here in November um, and became board certified in, in lifestyle medicine. Amazing. Uh, That's, that's awesome. Like you have such an inspiring story. I feel like also I really connect with it because my path was very similar. You know, our listeners, they've probably already listened to the very first episode, but I, you know, go, I went through a very similar process and kind of similar to you, you know, my work as a hospitalist, especially during this pandemic, what I'm seeing is similar to what you see. We see the, the, the end result of all of these chronic diseases that have been built up over time from people's lifestyle choices. And they, you know, they trigger acute issues coronavirus being one of them, you know? And so it's, yeah, it's, it's tragic on that end, but it's, I think the powerful part of it is that like, we've gotten to this point because of our lifestyle choices, but that also means the answer is we can change things around with lifestyle change. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, and, and the scary part is, is that now, like a lot of times people think, as a palliative care clinician, I'm only taking care of people like that are in their 80s and 90s. But mm-hmm. the reality is, and what people need to know is that like most Americans are getting diagnosed with serious illness at a younger age and a younger age and a younger age. And my right. average patient is in like their 50s or 60s. And it's not uncommon. I was telling you before we started recording, it's not uncommon for me to have patients in their 30s and 40s. Right. And I've I've held the hands of you know, some young cancer patients while their toddlers are sitting at the bedside at the end of life. Um, It's just so tragic, you know? Yeah. And so that's why, that's why it's so important for us to get this word out, right? I mean, like, you're so passionate about it. I am as well. So, you know, I'm glad it led you to this point. So when it does come to lifestyle, why, why is plant-based nutrition and avoiding animal products important for you, your patients, and really just everyone? Yeah, that's a great question. I I think even to take one step backwards before we start talking about food is like, 
when we when we eat right now in society we're doing it like we do everything else in our culture like we're doing sure. it to tick off uh, something else off of our to-do list right so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the more convenient eating is the better and so right. our current eating patterns are not aligned with health so if you look at the standard american diet it's calorically dense but nutritionally depleted so what's it? it's high in saturated fat added mm-hmm. oils and sugars and mm-hmm. cholesterol but the things that we need to prevent chronic disease and health it's pretty much lacking so things like uh, vitamins and minerals and antioxidants and phytonutrients and like the biggest one of all fiber right yeah, like right. the standard american diet is lacking in fiber and so when you look at the leading causes of death in america and these are the things that i see again at the end of life like heart disease and cancer and, and diabetes mm-hmm. they're mostly related to lifestyle factors and or habits and when you look at all the lifestyle habits a suboptimal diet is the number one risk factor for dying of these chronic diseases for sure um and so and yet again like we talked about earlier you know medical providers aren't trained to 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 talk about diet and nutrition um and so ultimately what ends up happening is we allow our patients to just blame their chronic illnesses on their genes yeah. um when in reality 80% of chronic diseases are preventable with healthy lifestyle habits with with food plant-based nutrition being like the most important for for sure also what the science shows Right. And so yeah, and so there's, you know, there's more than enough evidence now showing that a predominantly whole food plant-based eating pattern is the best in terms of uh chronic disease prevention but also treatment and then reversal in some cases. Um and for me personally as a palliative care clinician, why I'm so passionate about it is you see people that transition to a plant-based diet, you see them get better so fast in terms of symptoms and in terms of quality of life right it's crazy honestly like just in real life like applying it it's insane i you know i started in the hospital and it's crazy how quickly and the patients notice it too and they're like wow okay maybe maybe you are onto something and it gets everyone jazzed up you know it's it's a it's a beautiful thing i i really love it well the true beauty of it is this that you know everybody may f- come to their journey to plant-based uh, nutrition from a different angle. But the beauty of it is, is that it doesn't matter if you're dealing with diabetes or high blood pressure, high cholesterol or cancer. Once you start practicing the principles of plant-based nutrition, adding more plants to your diet, it will help every aspect of your life. So whether you're, you have three plus diseases or just one disease and you want more energy, you know, it, it'll just like help everything like it's and i've seen it in my own life right i've seen it in my husband's life and my my mom's life so it's just like amazing and so one of the things is also that a lot of people are don't want to read the science or look at the science or sometimes in some cases believe the science and so one of the things i always tell them is okay well you can look at the eating patterns of the people that live in the blue zones right and Mm -hmm. those are Mm -hmm. the areas around the world where they have the highest number of centenarians and not just centenarians, but centenarians that are actively still participating in society. <laughs> yeah, they're like, they're just going about business <laughs> like they're in their 30s. It's crazy. Yeah, like they have like, they have quality of life, which is what we all as humans just want. We want to live as long as possible with the best possible quality of life. And so the question that we, is particularly in North America and America, we need to ask ourselves is like, what are they doing that we're not doing? Right? Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of that has to do with the food we're putting in our body. For sure. For sure. I, I loved all those things you said. I mean, a couple of them I wanted to just emphasize. One thing, you know, from your own story with, you know, the BRCA mutation and tying in what Dr. Dean Ornish, you know, says quite often. So, you know, he he wrote a book called Undo It, which basically is lifestyle medicine in book form. Right. Yeah. But mm-hmm. he always says your genes are not your fate. And right. like this, this resonates so much with what you just said. And yeah, we do have, you know, certain disease processes that we're, you know, have a higher genetic predisposition to, but that's not, that's not the end all be all. We have control over it through our lifestyle choices, you know? And the truth of the matter is like, as someone who is a genetic mutation carrier, like my cancer, when you look at the statistics, like my, someone like me is going to be one in 10 is going to be mm-hmm. a one in 10. The other 80 to 90% of people that come in with breast cancer or ovarian cancer are going to be people that don't have genetic mutations. And so those cancers are mostly because of, you know, lifestyle habits. Sure. Um, and that's very powerful. That's like super powerful. Cause that's telling people that there is something that they can do to, to change their risk. Right. And, you know, the, I think the other point I wanted to emphasize was, how you were saying, you know, these simple but profound changes, specifically with your diet, like a whole food, plant-based predominant diet, you know, it has effect on all your different organs. So like, if you do have diabetes, but you also have heart disease, that way of living, that plant-based nutrition takes care of both. So like, you know, going back to Dean Ornish again, he always says like, you know, what's good for your heart is good for your brain. And you know, what's good for your body is good for the planet. It's good for everything, you know? And so like that, that totally resonated with me too, with what you said. So um, so I wanted to just, you know, kind of change topics a little bit. We, We talked about animal products, but I wanted to focus specifically on dairy consumption because so just, you know, in my own personal life, I, I'm friends with some vegetarians, right? Where they do still, you know, consume dairy products. And I always debate with them. And one, I have a very close friend. He's also a physician. We always debate about this. So I wanted to just kind of bring this to the forefront because I feel like there's a lot of misunderstanding about, you know, the, the effects dairy has on the body. So Let's just focus on dairy consumption, but let's first define, you know, kind of what dairy is. What are we referring to when we do say dairy? So before I I answer that specific question, I want to tell you how I first learned about what's what what's true dairy. Yeah, yeah. Um, So I after I had picked up Dr. Greger's book um, in 2015, before that, I was eating pretty much a standard diet, probably worse because I was a resident in training, right? And I was <laughs> I <can> purely, <laughs> purely living off of convenience food. Anyway, so I after, at that point, I became vegetarian. And mm-hmm. so then I was vegetarian for about three years. In 2018, when I was pregnant with my son, I picked up a book called The Cheese Trap by Dr. Neil Barnard. And for the first time in my life, for some reason, I just like it snapped. And I was like, oh, my God, like, the milk that we drink, the cow's milk or dairy that we drink is actually the milk that the mom cow makes for her baby cow. It's just like 
I'm about to make breast milk for my newborn that's about to come into the world. Like it's as if someone was trying to take that milk away from my baby and then drinking it. That's like essentially what we're doing with with cows. Like right. cow's milk is produced by lactating mother cows for their babies for the biologic purpose to grow them from 100 pounds to like 1,000 in the first year of their life. Mm-hmm. Right? Like that is its biologic purpose. Right, right. So you were just saying that, you know, a lot of the milk comes from lactating cows, right? And the the book that you talked about, you know, Dr. Neil Barnard, he wrote another book that just came out, I believe last year or the year before, called Your Body in Balance. I'm not sure right. if you've checked yeah. that out. Yeah, I got that um, one. Amazing book. And he talks about dairy through that that as well. So so then like, what is dairy? Like, how, how do we define this? So again, dairy is basically breast milk. And I'm, I'm just saying it as it is. It's breast milk made by a mother cow for her baby cow. And because baby cows grow at such a like rapid rate within their first year of life, cow's milk is higher in protein and it's calorically rich, but it's also higher in saturated fat. And because most cows in conventional, the conventional dairy industry, most of them are lack, uh, pregnant while they're lactating, there's large amounts of natural growth hormone in the cow's milk, but also sex hormones like estrogens and progesterones. And so obviously when you're thinking about human health, that is very concerning. Right, right. And I mean, the, the whole reason behind why we we get this milk from, you know, these cow farms is because they produce more milk if they're pregnant, right? So what they often do with these cows is they artificially inseminate them every year. So they get more production out of the cow for milk. But in doing so, I mean, we know very well, you know, even in our own, you know, human bodies, if you're pregnant, there's increased levels of hormones. And so what ends up doing, you know, what ends up happening is that milk gets spilled over into, you know, the the dairy milk. And so that's what, you know, dairy milk, but that's what we're consuming. We're consuming a lot of the, those hormones that the, that the pregnated cow has, right? And even more than that, like that's just, that's just specifically talking about, you know, a, a cow that is getting, that is lactating while pregnant. On top of that, in the conventional dairy industry, they also, in America, give cows something called RBGH or recombinant bovine growth hormone, which is a synthetic growth hormone that like just boosts milk production. And that has been shown to be bad for the health of the cows. It causes mastitis and like all sorts of things. So in a lot of other countries like Europe and Canada, it's actually it's actually not even allowed to be given to the cows. But in America, it still is. That, um, that I didn't know about. That's interesting. Yeah, to know. yeah. that's kind of it's scary. So that is yeah, it's really yeah. scary. Yeah. So then we t we talk about all the bad stuff just right now, but like there has to be some type of nutritional components that you know are beneficial for humans. Like there would be no reason why we'd be drinking otherwise. So what are those good components in in dairy? So dairy, just to give it to you straight, doesn't supply any nutrient that we can't get from other food sources. For sure, for sure. But like, what what is it that it does have that, you know, people who are like dairy proponents? So you know, the reason, 
everyone and culturally it's always been just said like we need dairy for you know strong bones we need dairy for calcium you know that's kind of why everyone thinks and of course you know the ultra famous protein that everyone is obsessed with but the truth of the matter is like you know things like calcium and protein like there are plenty of other sources if you're eating a well balanced predominantly plant based diet you can get all of those things from other sources particularly calcium sure. you think about calcium which is what most people think about when they're talking about dairy milk cows don't make calcium right they get calcium from eating plants so why right. not just skip the middle man or animal in this case and you know go straight for the plants and and get the calcium for yourself Right, right. I mean, that's very analogous to protein, right? Yeah. You know, that everyone's like, oh, well, then I wouldn't get protein. Well, yeah. Wh where do you think some of these animals who don't eat other animals get their protein from? It comes from the plants. It's no different with calcium, right? right. Yeah. And you look at some of the strongest animals in the world, like they are plant-based, right? You look at For gorillas, sure. you look at elephants, like it's, it's, it's amazing how strong these animals are. Right, right. And then how about for like the not so good components? We already talked about hormones like estrogen. What other the bad, you know, not so good components of dairy? Well, so dairy is the number one source of saturated fat in the standard American diet. Um, mm -hmm. And obviously the reason that's the biggest concern, especially in America, is because the number one killer of Americans is heart disease. Um, right. And so that link right there is is not good for our health. And then, of course, it's high in sodium and it's pro-inflammatory and it increases levels of what we call insulin-like growth factor, which we kind of talked about earlier, which has mm -hmm. been linked to things like metabolic syndrome and cancer. Um, so that's, you know, that's all the bad stuff. Right, right. And then, you know, other stuff too, right? It's pretty high in calories. Mm -hmm. um, cholesterol, you know, similarly with the, the whole saturated fat. And then lactate, right? Yeah, like lactate, yeah. Lactate mm -hmm. to galactose, because some of those have been linked to specific types of cancers, right? So, and we, we can get, get to that in a little bit, but so we talked about the components. So when we talk about dairy, we're thinking about milk, but that also applies to other dairy products, right? So if we're considering like, you know, cheese, for example, cheese is something that people love consuming here in the United States and, you know, and across the world as well, ice cream, yogurt. I mean, do we qualify all these things as dairy? I, yeah, I think all of the same principles pretty much apply. Like these are all calorically rich foods, uh, but nutritionally deplete. Um, they're very high in sodium. And I think the one really interesting thing uh, uh, that I learned about cheese that I didn't know, and this is why like everyone goes vegetarian, but they really can't go fully plant-based is because they say, I can give up anything, but I can't give up cheese, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. the reason they say that is because cheese actually has addictive properties just like opioids do, you know, pain medications yep. like morphine. And when I learned this as a palliative care clinician, this was like mind blowing for me because cheese has something in it called casomorphines, which are obviously to a much lower kind of amount, but like it's there, they have opioid like compounds, which is what makes them very addictive. And that's why right. people have a really hard time giving up cheese. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was kind of very interesting. Yeah, super mind blowing. Because you wouldn't think but I mean, when you talk to people, they're so passionate about dairy. They're like, I can't give it up. Like I, I said that I said that. 
Like up until like I was eight months pregnant with my second born and like literally like the only thing I was craving that whole pregnancy was cheese pizza. Like I swear. Right? <laughs> and then I read Dr. Barnard's book and like, like in, it was just like a snap moment. Like I went to my husband and I was like, I'm never having dairy again, like ever. And for me, it was more of the mom connection. Cause like, for sure. Of course. Babies. And that was just like, it, it like it was a stab in my heart. That's how it felt. So for me, it was like the cool thing. Um, yeah. Especially when I started learning about kind of like how these animals are treated and all of that stuff. But yeah, of course the health, all the health harmful effects and all of that, just like it made it so surreal that I didn't know any of this before, you know? Right. Right. Okay. We just went over, you know, the good components, quote unquote, good components and bad components. I don't know if you remember, but there were commercials in like the 80s to 90s about like milk does a body good, pass it on. That was like the slogan, right? Or like, you know, they, they have that got milk slogan. Like, is this really true? Does milk really do a body good? I mean, we've already talked about this, but like, if not, like if someone's out there listening and they still love dairy, what would you tell these people? I mean, I think... One thing to keep in mind with advertising and marketing and kind of the food industry in general is that their job is to sell you products. Their job is not to keep you healthy, right? right. Um, and the other thing that ties into this, and this is kind of what we also saw unfold with tobacco, right? Like it took years and years, even though we knew it was causing harm to the body, it took us years and years to finally put labels on tobacco products. And part of it, again, going back to the food industry, part of it is that when you look at the dietary guidelines and they just came out in 2020, when you look at them, they're highly influenced by the food industry and the agricultural industry. Sure, there are doctors and scientists who provide the evidence, but these dietary guidelines are not purely based off of science. They have a huge influence from the food industry. And so you can't entirely, in my opinion, believe what the, the guidelines are telling you to eat or drink. For example, they tell you to take in three servings of dairy a day. And that's not science-based. That's not evidence-based because we know that that's going to cause you more harm than good in the long run. Um, For sure. And so I, I think um, I, I, I think it's you just gotta you gotta do your own research. Like, and, and mm -hmm. we we know from all the epidemiological studies that are coming out now that the dot that dairy does the body more harm than it does good. For sure. For sure. And so we talked about some of those things. So saturated fat linked to stuff like heart disease, right? the hormone, you know, increased hormone levels, they, they're triggers for, for cancer. So let's, let's maybe talk a little bit more in detail about those things. So like, what have we seen in terms of like cancer and, you know, its relation to dairy consumption? So I don't, there's the biggest studies that I know of that have been linked to increased risk of cancer are prostate cancer. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the rest of the cancers, I don't know that there's necessarily cause and effect kind of studies sure. yet, but the kind of large epidemiological studies that are out there are showing that there's higher risks of things like endometrial cancer and breast cancer. And if you look at the type of cancers that we're worried about, they're mostly hormone-driven cancers. And that kind of makes sense because of everything we talked about earlier with the exogenous right. hormones and the growth hormone and, and all of that. And I think one thing 
when it comes to dairy and human health in particular, minorities and African-Americans is that 75% of the world's population is actually actually lactose intolerant, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's actually, huge. It, it is huge. I was going to bring that up because growing up, I actually couldn't drink milk because I was lactose intolerant from, you know, when I was a toddler. So I yeah. rarely drank milk growing up. I mean, thankfully, you know, thankfully that was the case. I, you know, I didn't know at the time, but like, I, I, you know, there's certain ethnicities. So for example, Caucasians, they do have that genetic mutation, right? They, they're able to break down that lactose even in adulthood. So, I mean, that is kind of concerning because they, they'll go about still drinking the milk like they did when they were kids, but it comes with all these potential harmful side effects like we just mentioned. Yeah. Right. But like, but then, but then the opposite of it is, you know, again, going back to the dietary guidelines who yeah. put out this blanket statement that like everyone in America should be consuming three servings of dairy a day. Well, we know that this is disproportionately going to affect the health of all of our minorities, our African-Americans, our Latinx, our Asian Americans, you know, and for sure, especially African-Americans. And we saw this a lot this year with COVID, you know, we already know these populations are at higher risk of heart disease and obesity and diabetes. Um, and not only are they at higher risk, they're at higher risk of dying from these conditions too. So the guidelines to make a blanket statement like that is, is, is just kind of irresponsible in my mind. Oh, yeah. Know? It's very irresponsible. So I think like marketing does play a big role in all of it. And you you should question the things that you are buying and putting in your bodies because, you know, at the end of the day, dairy is no different from fast food. That's no different from, you know, processed food. People want you on the other end to buy this stuff. They're going to market it like nobody's business and they're going to get you to buy it any way they can. So question, you know, all of those things when you go into the supermarket or you know you're going to you know buy a meal for your family those those things play a big role so they're oh, they might not be looking out for you they're looking out for the bottom line they want to sell their product absolutely and you are your biggest advocate right so for sure I, I, and we talked about earlier and most doctors will tell you like if you ask them do you feel comfortable giving nutritional advice like the all of the surveys that they've done like show that most doctors don't feel confident giving that advice. And it's because we haven't trained in it. We'll all tell you, right? Yeah. And so I think now that there is more research out and there is more science, like we can look at it um, ourselves, you know, right. we don't necessarily need to do what, you know, the guidelines are telling us or our doctors are telling us because they may not be up to date on the, the science. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, just kind of tying it back to these long-term effects, whether it be you know, whatever chronic disease you're talking about, whether it is heart disease, you know, these different cancers. So you brought up prostate cancer. I wanted to point out a specific study that is in Neil Barnard's book in, uh, you know, that book I was telling you about your body and balance. So the theory, I guess, is that milk increases, you know, your exposure to insulin-like growth factor one, right? And that helps with growth in kids. Like that's like, you know, a natural process in kids, but that can also cause cancer growth in adults. So mm -hmm. there were two large Harvard studies. One was uh, called the Physician's Health Study. And there mm -hmm. was about like 21,000 men who were involved in it. And what they found through this study was that 2.5 dairy servings daily, it, you know, was the equivalent of a 34% increased risk of getting prostate cancer. 
And so, and then they did like a follow-up study called the health professional follow-up study. And that one was almost 48,000 men. And what they found was if you consume more than two milk servings per day, that was equivalent about a 60% increased risk to develop prostate cancer. So, I mean, the, the research is pointing in this very direction. Absolutely. To know about it. So listeners out there, if you're going to buy a book, please buy this book, Your Body and Balance. They, you know, he talks about essentially, you know, hormone levels and how abnormal hormone levels lead to disease processes in the body. And that stems from the stuff that we put in our bodies. So stuff like animal products like meat, dairy, we've been harping on dairy. It's what we've been focusing on right now. But and like you were saying, there's not like big data, but like there's some data to kind of point in that direction too for ovarian cancer. There was a study back in 1989. The doctor's name was Dan Kramer. So he he basically looked at the incidence of ovarian cancer across 27 countries. And what he found was paralleled milk consumption. So the more milk women drank, the higher association of the ovarian cancer incidence was in that specific country. So, I mean, you know, the, absolutely. Yeah. The data is pointing in that direction too. you know, other stuff like inflammatory triggers, you know, we're talking about autoimmune diseases, asthma, joint pain, right? St and yeah, there's been a clear link with, uh, with MS, like, like right? you had Dr. Sarai on Sorry, your, yeah. uh, Dr. Stancic on your, uh, podcast right. talking about her journey. I mean, mind blowing. Yeah, exactly. And she just came out with a book too, for those that didn't listen to that episode, that one's called what's missing from medicine. So she talks a lot about all the stuff that we just mentioned here. One thing I just wanted to point out, especially from, I mean, I'm a, a parent of two toddlers. So any parents mm -hmm. out there, like, you know, the things that, you know, our kids eat at a young age in, in their childhood years, their preteen years are, is really what develops the blueprint for disease in their adult years. Right. And so right. I think particularly we've been talking about dairy, you know, we know in, in the preteen teen years is when they're having a lot of growth, reproductive growth. And so dairy is linked early onset puberty, which ultimately then is linked to higher rates of these hormonal cancers like breast cancer and prostate cancer. So, I mean, it's, it's like a full spectrum. It's not just if you, it's not just adult onset cancers, this all starts much, much younger. Right. Right. Um, right. So that's really important for our parents to know. For sure. You know, I actually just had a cardiologist on the show and we talked exactly about heart disease and how early it starts. And I mean, this is, this resonates with that, right? Oh yeah, that was like the first time I read in Dr. Uh, in Dr. Greger's book that like children as young as thirteen have signs of early heart disease. I'm like, what? Like yeah. that is crazy. Yeah, you know, it is crazy. So, you know, apart from telling people, you know, do your own research. Like, what are what are some of the things that you you would tell people maybe to convince them that you know we I I brought up my friend who I'm going to have listen to this podcast episode, by the way, I'm going to, I'm going to sit down with him and say, <laughs> listen to this. And then we are going to discuss right after you listen to it. What, what would you say to guys like him? Well, you know, I'm going to say that, and I'm going to bring in more than just the health aspect, right? And sure. you brought up Dr. Ornish, you know, I think we live in a world now in the 21st century where we have so many options, like so many amazing options that are dairy-free. They're better for our health. 
They're better for the animals. They're better for the health of the planet. I mean, you look at everything else that is going on in the world with climate change and all of that. The agricultural industry has a huge part to play in that, particularly the dairy industry. So if we have a choice now, then, you know, why not take advantage of it? We're living in a, in a, a great time and there's so many alternatives made from nuts and seeds and, and soy that are you know, more calorically, nutritionally beneficial for us. For sure. You know, that's a great segue to the next question I was going to ask you, which is the alternatives to these dairy products. So we have a lot of non-dairy milks on the market now, which has been awesome to see it, you know, especially over the past couple of years. Like it warms my heart because even before I went into lifestyle medicine, like I was saying, you know, I was lactose intolerant. So I was drinking stuff like soy milk way, way early on, you know, and seeing these other ones come up. It's it's awesome. So like, what are the other ones out there besides soy milk? I love going to the grocery store now, actually, because now you have like one fridge for dairy and you have like three fridges for like plant based dairy. You know, (laughs) (laughs) it's awesome. It is Um, so cool to see. It's so cool. So I would say like just to, to an overall important point is that we don't necessarily need dairy and we don't necessarily need plant based milk as a beverage, the only beverage of choice that our body really needs is water. So that's the first thing to remember, I think. But a lot of people have always drank milk. And so, you know, it's it's something that, you know, they enjoy with cereal or they enjoy, right. you know, like just a as a thing. beverage. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I think there's tons of options. I don't think there's any right or wrong. I kind of would say, you know, go out there and try a few different ones and see how you like it. A lot of people like almond milk because it's the creaminess and um, similar consistency to dairy milk. It's not nutritionally, it doesn't have a lot to offer. But if, if you were to ask me, like, what's the best nutritional milk for infants or for like elderly people, I would say go for something that's calorically rich, but also protein rich. And so the best option would really be soy milk. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. so, you know, you you want to, especially for kids, you want to look for nutrient dense calories over uh, empty calories. Um, and the other benefit to some of these plant based beverages Um, is that they're fortified. So a lot of them will be fortified with vitamin D and calcium and vitamin B12. So that is kind of an added bonus. Um, Right. But there's so many options. Like you have like oat milk, which is kind of the hype right now. You have pea milk and coconut milk and, you know, all sorts. I I would say like soy milk uh, and oat milk and pea milk, pea protein milk are probably better and better to stay away from things like coconut milk because of the saturated fat and things like rice milk because of the arsenic contamination risk and almond milk is just nutritionally doesn't have that much to offer so that's kind of my take on it what what's your favorite so we drink i have toddlers and we drink silk unsweetened soy milk so yeah, that one's a good one it's it's really good. It's really creamy. It makes great lattes. It makes great chia pudding. I can cook with it and bake with it. So it's just kind of versatile and it's nutritionally like good. But I think when when you're looking for a plant-based milk, I think the important thing is that it's still, you know, it's still considered a processed food so or beverage. So you want to look at the ingredients carefully. You want to find the one that is the most minimally processed with the least amount of ingredients. Look for unsweetened varieties and look out for like some companies may add things and artificial thickeners and flavors and all that stuff. So just look out for that. And and I think the other important fun thing is that you can make an activity with your kids. Um, you can make homemade nuts 
face milks very easily in like a Vitamix or in a high speed blender. For sure. Um, we we do, have we something that, called actually. the, yeah, we have, yeah. we actually got something called the almond cow and it's like a really fun plant-based milk maker basically. And you can make any kinds of milk. Like I've, we've made cashew milk and walnut milk and pumpkin seed milk and you cool. can add you can add like dates and cinnamon and like it, you can get really fun with it. Oh, that's awesome. So, can you buy that online? Yeah, it's called the Almond Cow. It's really awesome. Cool. Yeah, che audience, check that out. Yeah. The My favorite recently of recent years is oat milk, specifically yeah. Oatly. Oh my it's God, really dude, good. it yeah. is so creamy. And actually it compared is. to almond milk, like you're saying fortified, like oat milk, it probably has so much like, you know, on the whole, like, all the different nutrients compared to yep. almond milk and it, it's just it's so rich that's the closest probably that you you could get to like actual milk in terms of creaminess you know absolutely i'm a, I'm a big proponent as you can tell i, I love yeah. oat milk i mean so, oat milk oat, oat milk lattes are my jam so yeah, <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> so good so good so and then for you just mentioned toddlers we have a toddler of our own there's people out there listening that have you know young kids this has been going on for so many years, you know, toddlers drinking dairy milk. Is it really necessary or not? I mean, we, we've already talked about it, but can we just briefly talk about it for, for the, the new parents out there? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm very passionate about kind of talking about dairy and childhood. I, I think the one thing that's really important to know is that milk allergy is now one of the leading childhood food allergies. And there's more and more data suggesting that it's causing more harm than good. And, and it's interesting because like, we don't recommend dairy products to, and all pediatricians will say this under the age of one, don't give, give kids dairy because they can't break down the milk protein and For it sure. causes like inflammation and micro hemorrhage and iron deficiency anemia and all that. Yet, when they turn like six months, nine months, 12 months, we tell them, yeah, now you can start incorporating dairy, but their GI tracts are still just as immature and still can't tolerate that protein. And so ultimately what you end up seeing in children with who have high consumption of dairy is higher risk of atopic diseases like asthma and eczema and also other things like recurrent ear infections. And of course, like the major reason for most outpatient pediatric visits is constipation, like severe constipation in mm -hmm. children, right? Anal fissures mm -hmm. and abdominal right. pain. And like the number one thing, every pediatrician, whether they're, you know, whether they know all of this about dairy or not, the number one thing they will tell their parents and patients is to go on a dairy-free trial. And almost all of the children respond. Um, right, right. So it's kind of like, and then we already talked about kind of the preteen concern about the, you know, early puberty, but also acne, like acne is like clearly very link linked to dairy now. And so there's just so many more harms than, than good. So right. again, if we have alternatives now, then why yeah, why not use them? Kids? Yeah, exactly. And you know, you talked about dairy and acne, there was a study back in 2005, again, conducted by Harvard, they're always doing the best studies. So over yes. time, they found that two or more milk servings per day you know, increase your likelihood of acne by 20% or more. Yeah. And again, I think a study. lot of it links back to the, the to the estrogens, you know, it can be converted into a substance called DHT. And that is often the, the associated trigger for acne. So I mean, there's there's data to support it too, you know, it's, and it's interesting, like, as we've been talking about dairy this whole time, like, like, I don't 
remember the exact percentage, but I think it's like a quarter. They did like some surveys and a quarter of people of uh, the population didn't even know that there are hormones in dairy, like that they're, they're taking in estrogen progesterones. Meanwhile, like when you talk about plant-based nutrition, all that stuff, when you're talking about, you know, soy products and flax and phytoestrogens, people are like, oh, phytoestrogens, like that's the hormones. I don't want hormones in my body. Meanwhile, like they pretty much have dairy with every, some form of dairy, whether it's cheese or yogurt or milk with like every meal or snack in their day. Like they're taking in way more hormones that we know are going to lead to harm, you know? So it's kind of funny what people don't know. For Um, sure. Yeah, most definitely. So how about alternative sources for calcium? Because we talked about how people love drinking milk for the calcium. So what are some of the foods out there that people can eat to get calcium in their bodies? Well, I think, um, you know, the best sources of calcium are beans and legumes and um, green leafy veggies, uh, seeds like chia seeds and sesame seeds are a great source. Um, but if we're, we're talking about bone health, that's really why most people think about calcium. I think what's sure. really important for bone health is weight bearing exercise and it's not mm. given enough credit. Um, mm. And then, Mm -hmm. of course, vitamin D, most of us, especially this year, we've spent so much time indoors, like vitamin D is critical for bone health. And so I think it's, it's really important that either we're getting outside for 15 to 20 minutes of sunshine a day, and also for our mental health, that's good. But if, if you're not able to do that, then getting in that vitamin D supplement or again, a fortified plant-based milk or food is, is, is good. Um, But I think again, we're kind of, we obsess a lot about calcium when we don't really even know how much calcium we truly need. But there was a great article on, it's actually called Milk and Health that came out early last year in 2020 in the New England Journal of Medicine, which actually showed us that countries with the highest intakes of dairy products have the highest rates of fracture risk and osteoporosis compared to countries with the lowest risk have lowest risk of fracture. And so, you know, we're, we're so obsessed with calcium and, and it's going to decrease my risk of fracture and all of that, but it's actually, it's, it's been shown in the studies that it's not even, uh, even true. And a lot of the other countries like the UK and their calcium recommendation is much lower than, than it is in the U S. So for sure, I think not obsessing over it and just eating kind of a balanced plant predominant diet, you'll get more than enough calcium. And then, you know, watching out for your vitamin D and getting in some strength training that is going to be great for your bone health. Most definitely. And like green leafy, specifically people out there, mm-hmm. broccoli, kale, Brussels sprouts, Swiss, yeah, Swiss collards, chard. Swiss mm-hmm. chard. Yeah. Those things chock filled with calcium. So, you know, definitely pick those up at your local supermarket. Okay. So we got to wrap things up and I wanted to ask you the same question I ask all my guests. How do you define health in your own words? And what does that mean for you? So health to me is truly, it's, it's the sum of all the little but consistent things that behaviors that you're committed to on a daily basis that ultimately are going to give you the best quality of life, not just now, but also the future. So it's not about every January 1st, finding out what the new diet is or the new trend is, you know, it's really about cultivating a lifestyle that allows you to reach your highest potential and make the most of, of this. And I can tell you as a palliative care physician of this very short life that we all are blessed with. Um, and so I said, I think one thing is that like, none of us are perfect, right? So 
as we go along in life, we learn so much um, on our own, but also from other people. And so one thing is, is that as you learn more and as you know better, then you're going to do better. But I always like to quote Tony Robbins and he says, knowledge is not power. It's potential power, right? It's the execution and the action that is power. So I think don't think so big when it comes to health. Think about the little things that you're doing every single day that are going to lead to the biggest impact. And, and again, as a palliative care clinician who has seen significant debility and suffering, you know, these positive lifestyle habits are going to be the best investment that you can make. They're not an expense. They're the best investment that you can make for your future quality of life and indirectly your families as well. Because if you develop a chronic illness, you're not the only one that suffers. Everyone around you suffers as well. So you're for sure. For, for bigger than bigger than you. Right. Right. I love that. Love that message. So before we go, where can people find you online? So I'm on Instagram at Dr. Simran, S-I-M-R-A-N, period, Malhotra, M-A-L-H-O-T-R-A. Okay, awesome. Hey, this has been tremendous. I've had so much fun talking to you about dairy. I'd love to have you back on the show. We could talk about more stuff plant-based. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. So check her out. We'll have those links to her, you know, her Instagram uh, page on our show notes. And we thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. For sure. We'll see you soon. All right. See ya. So how was that? And how about Dr. Simran Mahaltra? What an inspiring human being. I hope our discussion helps to inspire you to make healthier choices for yourself when it comes to dairy. So please reach out to Dr. Mahaltra and me to let us know how this episode was for you on our social platforms, which you can find the links to in our show notes. And I'm always interested in improving this show. So email me at drjonar at gmail.com if you have any suggestions on topics you want to hear, how we can make the show better, or just let us know how a specific episode or guest and help to inspire you. I look forward to hearing from you. So grateful to Dr. Maholtra for being on the show. And as always, so grateful for you tuning in. So if you like what you heard, please subscribe, like, and review my podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. And share it with your family and friends online because sharing is caring. Thanks again to the wonderful and smart Amelia Liu, my intern, to Jacob Ferrer for production help, and to Stock Sounds for the music. And lastly, to you. Thank you again for listening. Happy Earth Day again to all of you out there. And remember, your state of health starts with your state of mind. So till next time, enjoy the process, my friends. This podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not medical advice, so please talk to your primary physician for that. In addition, the views and opinions expressed by me are my own and not that of my former, current, or future employer. This also applies to my guests. Finally, we do our best to make every effort to relay correct information. We do not guarantee its accuracy. Thank you for listening.